Welcome back, everybody, to the Catholic Traveler podcast, our daily editions where we are taking you each day to the station church of the day in Rome for Lent. Hi, Mountain. Hi, Joni. How's your Lent going? It's it's going fine. It's going? Yeah. <laughs> it's a, well, good. It's a good time to, to be Lenting here in Rome. Yeah. Place to ourselves. Lent. Can't feels, do anything. Yeah, it feels it feels kind of linty just being here. Yeah. Cuz you know but like you can go to the station churches. No, That's we can't. Exciting. But you know like in being in a big international touristy city during Lent. Yeah. I mean, it's still you can still have Lent, but if you have people around harder. all the time and you're going out yeah. to dinner with people and you might start having too it's much true. fun. Yeah. So I remember both times I studied there and lived there, it was during Lent. And it was really hard because like, do you give up? What, like I always gave up ice cream during college because we had ice cream at mm. every lunch yeah. and I ate I ate a lot of ice cream. <laughs> um, ice cream is my favorite food. And so I'd always give up ice cream for Lent. But then if you're in Rome and you're only there for so long, do you do you sacrifice that? And so I had to find other things to sacrifice. And it was actually really good because sometimes I think I phone it in and just, oh, I'll give up sweets. Um, and so I had to think of other things to give up. And so it was good, but it is hard because you're, I mean, it's different for you because you live there. You can have gelato anytime. But when you're in a big city like that, it can be hard to to really enter into the spirit of Lent, I think. Yeah. Especially if you're trying to entertain people that are coming through and right. I mean you don't have to I don't mean like I'm walking around sad all the time during Lent but no but like you don't want to go to a restaurant and be like oh well I'm not going to drink wine or yeah. eat dessert I can't have the green this. sambuca like, yeah like that's no fun it's like so. here guys try this green sambuca well I can't because it's Lent so you guys right. have to enjoy <laughs> oh my gosh that's pretty sure that's what Jesus told right. us not yeah, to do when exactly. we were sacrificing <laughs> so anyway my Lent is going fine it feels very Lenty here in Rome oh, good um and with the Pope gone the last few days to Iraq, you know, it feels even more depressing. I'm all, I always yeah. feel like, I don't know if it's, depressing is the wrong word. But whenever the Pope goes somewhere, it feels weird. Like It's empty. Like something's missing in Rome. Even though it's not like you see him every day. It's no, not I, like you're like never hanging out him. with him. Yeah. But you can feel his absence. Yeah. and I found the same thing. Yeah. yeah. With, you know, there's journalists traveling with him that are usually here. So you don't see them on the street. And I know a lot of them. There's, you know, the people that work with them, like the MCs and some of the security that you get used to seeing around the city and they're gone. It just feels like weird. I mean, yeah. at least we have a backup Pope. So, you know, like we're okay. Benedict's still back there. <laughs> at least there's somebody here if something goes Someone's wrong. Someone's praying. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, I, it is strange. Well, one of the times I was living there, the Pope went to America and that was really funny because everybody, everybody back home, like he went to go see them and I was in Rome and it was just, it was like, wait a minute, the Pope's with you, but he's supposed to be with me. Yeah. It was strange. That happened here too. When uh, Pope Francis went to America, I was living here Yeah, and everybody was like, I knew a lot of people that were waiting in DC or New York to see him. And, and I'm like, oh, you could just come visit me and I'll take you right over. <laughs> you don't have to wait like six hours or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I waited so long in Philly for the Pope. Yeah. I waited on a street corner for like eight hours. And we were in the front row and we he stopped in front of us because my friend Jenny's baby. baby was... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I thought, wait a minute. I, I just waited eight hours for... Yeah, I could just go to Rome and see him. Right. But yeah. And then... It's, it was really neat to see him in your home, you know, in, in 
America, though. I'm sure. Yeah, I I enjoyed watching it, but I was ready for him to come back. So when he came back, we went, I took the kids to St. Mary Major because there's the tradition that he always stops by there before he leaves and when he comes back. And like, I just wanted to make sure, you know, Pope's back. So we went there and we waited for him. We saw him and got a little wave as he drove by. So then I was like, okay, everything's normal again. And it's also funny to see like when he was in America with the, the papal motorcade, which looks like a presidential motorcade, a head of state. But here he's in his little blue Ford Focus and there were just like two motorcycle cops with him and that was it. Like that's how he travels around Rome. But it's it's crazy he watching. Much prefers that. Yeah, it's crazy watching the uh, the stuff in Iraq. Like they have like the military helicopters yeah. and <laughs> machine uh, guns. And, yeah, I wish I was there. Yeah, yeah. That's a trip. You I know, it's gone funny. On. It's only I think it's after going to Jordan with you um, that I'm watching the coverage of the Iraqi visit, and it made me kind of homesick, like in a weird sort of way. It it made me kind of like, I want to travel. Whereas before I would have been like, there's no way I'm going to, you know, but yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I want to go to Baghdad. Yeah. Well, I mean, it looks, because we love Jordan. We love going to the Holy Land. And this looks very much like Jordan, the buildings and -hmm. some of the things that they've been doing, like the desert, the neon, all the, the green mosques lit up and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, like watching yeah. some of the stuff. And even the when he did the mass the other day, um, Chaldean, right? I think that's mm-hmm. how you say it. First time a pope's done that one. Yeah, Chaldean. Um, mm-hmm. And just the way the people were dressed and some of the music. And it felt like the masses that I've gone to in Jordan, not with my groups, because we have our own priests and they don't do all the different rites. But, they do the Latin, right? Yeah. yeah. But like when I've gone alone or a day ahead of the group and when I've gone to mass with the local community. And then in Jordan, I often take people. Did we do this? Did we go to the Iraqi? We did, didn't we? The refugees? The, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of made me homesick for travel too because he's in Iraq and we visited the Iraqi refugees that came when everything got bad there. And a lot of them could only take one thing with them. And so it would be like a Bible or a rosary. And they ended up in this refugee center in Jordan. So we've gotten to visit them. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just a good reminder, again, how big the church is and, you know, the different rites and the different languages and the different, you know, not every Catholic looks like you. And I think it's important for us to recognize that. And, you know, some of it reminded me, I lived with Lebanese Maronites when I lived in Rome, and that wasn't the experience I thought I would have living in Rome, right? We never spoke Italian at dinner. We spoke Arabic and I listened. Um, I, de- I didn't. I didn't pick up much Arabic. Um, but it's just important for us to remember that not every Catholic looks like you, and not every Catholic even prays like you. And the church is big, and I think it's an important thing for us to remember when we become so insular and focused on our own problems and our own situation in our own country. I think that that visit to Iraq was so important. It's the first papal visit to Iraq, but I like. The church is old in Iraq, far older than it is in the United States. Mm. And I think it's just an important reminder to us of the importance of opening our eyes and experiencing cultures other than our own. Yeah. Well, that's the episode for today. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> we're about eight minutes in now, and uh, maybe we should mention what the Station Church is. All them. right. So we, we mentioned the Pope goes to St. Mary Major before and after a trip. Today's church is right behind St. Mary Major, Santa Pudenciana. 
And it's a church people definitely should visit um, because everybody goes to St. Mary Major. So you may as well take a few extra minutes, walk behind the church across the street, and you'll see Santa Pudenciana. And kind of like with San Vitale the other day, this is a church that has seen Rome grow because you walk down, it's probably 20-something steps from street level to get down to church level, so where it was hundreds of years ago. And this church is also right down the street from San Lorenzo in Panisperna, which we visited a couple weeks ago, whatever day that was. Sounds right. So it's just a few blocks from there. So a lot of churches over here. Um, But Prudenciana, this was a woman who was the daughter of a Roman senator. And he was a Christian. This was back when Christianity was illegal, so he was secretly Christian. Um, But he would let Christians into his home. And one of those Christians that he allowed into his home to stay there, to celebrate the sacraments there, was a guy named Peter, who had recently come over from... I know him! Yeah. (laughs) And so this is where Peter started his ministry here in Rome, was at Senator Putin's house, which is now the Church of Santa Pudenciana. And so in a way, this could be considered the first cathedral of Rome. Because this was the bishop's seat. He had his literal chair here, right? He had his altar here where he would celebrate Mass. And so this is where it began in Rome, was at the Church of Santa Pudenziana. Um, And so if you want to visit the early church in Rome, you should really start here. And they still have some of the wood that from the altar where he would have celebrated Mass, and it's preserved here. It it matches the piece in St. John Lateran, where they also have a piece of the altar, um, but part of it's here at Santa Pudenciana. Right. So I'm glad they left part of it here. I didn't just say, like, yeah. we're taking the whole thing. So yeah, they Me have too. part of the altar here. And so we're going to talk about Santa Persede, her sister, um, the last week of Lent, I think. But Pudenciana and Persede, they were both the daughters of Pudens. And so... You know, he was a nobleman, a senator. They probably had some money. Um, but these two sisters, they really cared for the Christians. They were Christians themselves. And so anytime someone was martyred, they took it upon themselves to make sure that person had a proper burial. And so they would go out, you know, risking their lives, go out into Rome, collect the bodies of these martyrs, take them out to the catacombs, give them a proper burial. But they would even go so far as to soak up the blood of the martyrs so that no part of these people who died for their faith was desecrated or left on the street. And so there is a well in Santa Pudenciana where they would put the blood. There's also a, another well at one of the other houses, which we'll cover later on. Um, but you can actually see this well where they would put the blood of the martyrs. Um, eventually they were killed as well. They're, they're a great patron uh, set of patrons for female athletes, because I think obviously St. Sebastian's the patron of athletes. But um, I think if you have, you know, whether you have daughters or granddaughters or you yourself are an athlete, they're a great um, pair to pray to. And one day I was having a particularly difficult time on my run and I started pretending like I was them training because, you know, they probably trained. They had to outrun these Roman soldiers. So it made my run better because I was pretending like I was training to you know, steal the blood of the martyrs. It was exciting. That would be exciting for a run. Now, yeah. are they the patron saint or are you just saying they should be? 
I think they are, but I've not seen it lately written down. I was told they were, but you know how like priests tell you things and you don't really know if they're just making it up. Right. Because I didn't know that. And you told me that. You told me that a couple years ago and I... I've been telling people yeah. that so <laughs> a priest told me so I they're going to they're really, going to be the patrons by like default. the church well wait what they're going to we're like we're going to make them the patrons cuz we're going to keep telling yeah. people yeah because it's not like the church comes out and says well you are the patron of this right it's the it's the cult of the people and so yeah we're making them the patronesses if they're not already yeah yeah so uh <laughs> we mentioned uh Peter's chair here so it's said that the chair that was in this church, or I guess it would have been a house at the time, is the one that is inside Bernini's altar of the chair. Maybe. But it's kind of cool Maybe. to think. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, the altar, so why can't why can't the chair still exist? Yeah. Well, I think they may have dated it, but that's okay. It, it might be. I, I well, yeah. you gotta take my fun away, Joni. It's definitely an ancient chair that was connected to the papacy. So fine. Yeah, sorry. And then there's something else really neat that happened at this church. Miracle? Yeah. Eucharistic miracle. In like a side chapel, there was a, a Eucharistic miracle that happened. And that chapel's often closed. So it kind of stinks because you can't often see where it happened. But there's a Eucharistic miracle. And they've, well, you can tell the story, Mountain. You tell it far more than I do. Uh, yeah, there was a priest who had his doubts which usually happens with the Eucharistic miracles. Um, And during the Mass, I don't know if it was during the elevation or what, but he dropped the Eucharist and it dented the marble, one of the steps right by the altar, and also left like a blood stain on it. And so, yeah, it's in there. And I've been to this church many times. I've never been inside this chapel because it's always closed. You can see inside. So it's just closed by like an iron gate. Um, You can see the chapel, you can see the altar, you can see where the miracle is, where it it hit, but you can't like get close enough to actually examine it. Um, Maybe they'll open it for the station day. I've never been here on the station day. Ooh. Yeah. A friend of ours is celebrating the mass there today. Oh, nice. Father Michael. Well, then he'll let you in. Yeah. I guess it's not up to him. (laughs) He'll get us in. Um, Nice. Yeah. So... I'll let you know. Yeah. And I can't let this episode go without mentioning the apse mosaic. The apse mosaic, although it's been somewhat destroyed by renovations of the church, it's been kind of cut off. Um, this was actually one of the very first apse mosaics that I studied in art history. Maybe that's why I love our apse mosaics. But it depicts kind of the heavenly Jerusalem and Jesus. And um, there's four symbols of the evangelists kind of around Jesus. And this is the oldest preserved example of the evangelists being depicted by their symbols, um, the ox, the eagle, the man. So we have the oldest depiction here in this apse mosaic of the evangelists. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Well, another old, beautiful church yeah and this one is one that should not be missed like if you're doing saint mary major just go see all the churches around here yes because it is yeah. and we generally do we generally when we're on tour we'll hit both pudenciana and Presede, which again we'll talk about during holy week because they're very close to mary major you're not really going that much out of your way right so and even if you are so, it's worth it yes it's where the church started True. the first the first chapel was built here in 140 like that's how long that 
Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Well, thanks, Mountain. Thanks, Joni. <laughs> thanks, listeners. And join us tomorrow for another church that many people probably have never been to, but... I've never been to there's it. There's really... I, and, and I have. And there are great stories attached to it. So I'm excited to share. Good. You can do all the talking tomorrow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Ciao.